Hey, Mandarin family. Thank you so much for joining us today. We will get started in just a moment. As we begin, we want you to be aware of a couple things. First of all, be sure to check us out on our website at mandarinbaptist.org. When you are there, you can choose tabs, links to our social media, and other pages to see any events we have scheduled. You can see events like our service times, jam camp, student ministry, discover Mandarin, and more. Also, visit us on our social media pages. You can find us at facebook.com slash mandarinbaptistchurch. We would love for you to take your next steps with us here at Mandarin. And one of the best ways to do so is to engage with us online on our social media and even join us for our services on campus and live streamed on Sundays. All the information you need will be found on our website. And if you desire any other information, feel free to email us. We are in our new series called Our Redemptive Family. Imagine the beauty of the gospel vibrant in every relationship within the church and as the core foundation and identity for Jesus's people. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel with all humility and gentleness as the defining attributes of a life within a redemptive family. As Jesus builds his people, others will look into the window of the faith family with a bit of awe as they experience patience, upholding one another in love and an eagerness to maintain a unity that is sparked by the Spirit and provides an abundance of peace. The church, with Jesus at its center, is a beautiful place and people. These truths are the anchors for the way that we think about our faith family and how we relate to one another. They also spark a sense of wonder as others venture into the middle of us. Throughout this series, let's explore how the gospel shapes and forms our redemptive family. And so today in our, in our messages, we look at James chapter 5. We're in this series, Our Redemptive Family. Uh, in our redemptive family, what we're doing is we're looking at what does a gospel community really look like? Like, gospel community isn't just coming to church and, for the sake of a habit. It's not even placing money in an offering basket. It's not coming and just participating in these things. It's coming and being an active member of a gospel community. And in James chapter 5 today, we're going to see how um, a community comes together in honesty and transparency. And how honesty and transparency uh, creates fertile soil for the gospel of grace to abound in each of our lives. And so uh, when Mark does a sermon series, typically he sends an email to myself and Garrett. And in this email, he said, Matt, is there any of these that you would like to teach? And in an unspirit-led moment, I looked at my calendar and said, these two dates are really convenient. And, uh, and, so, and so anyways, a couple days later, he would text me back and he says, I feel like God's been growing you in this area of vulnerability. And at first, I was like, what are you saying about me? But this subject is something that does not come natural to me. 
And I think for many of us, like the subject of vulnerability and transparency, we hear that and like walls immediately begin to go up. But as we unpack scripture here in a moment, um, I believe that as we begin to unpack that, we'll see just how important it is for each and every one of us. If we want to live in the purpose that God has created us for, sometimes it requires a level of vulnerability so that we can step in and allow God to work in the middle of our messes. So um, before we jump into James 5, I have a laser pointer. Everyone thank James Powell for giving me a laser pointer. I have a slide that has a whole bunch of numbers on it. It's coming up right now. Uh, this is Barna Research. And about, I think, four years ago, they did this uh, study on resilient disciples. And over the past year, they've been doing monthly updates to their data. And their whole idea is how do we, as a church, a body of Christ, Form resilient disciples. Like our hope and our goal is that, that we would all be people being transformed in the image of God each and every day. And so they're doing research to back up some of this. Um, and it's also uh, a link to this is in the show notes on our live stream. So if you want to go back and read the article and all the fun data, geek out, nerd out on it, I encourage you to do that. But um, they have this idea of resilient disciples. And I just want to define it for us. A resilient disciple is someone who attends church monthly and engages with their church more than just attending a worship service. So think small groups, think serving in a ministry area, think being actively a part of the body of Christ. Uh, they trust and affirm the authority of Scripture. Uh, they are committed to Jesus personally and for, affirm the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And then also they express a desire to transform broader society because of the outcome of their faith. So this isn't just something that we hold on to and we're like, oh yeah, Jesus is so great. Because of what Jesus has done in the heart of a resilient disciple, they seek to transform society around them in the image of Jesus. They live out that gospel message. So anyways, there's, uh, there's resilient disciples, there's habitual church grower, which is what it sounds. For their research, it's someone who goes to church once a month. Um, and then there's nomads, unchurched. These are people who have no church background. And to some of you, it might be a surprise that is that real, people with no church background. Uh, it is rapidly increasing at an alarming rate of how many people have no church background. But what's interesting is research would show that these people are the most interested in spiritual matters. They might affirm the teachings of Jesus and say, oh, that's good. That openness is an opportunity for the gospel to flourish. And then last are people who are prodigals. So we have this data, and this research that was done was how do we build meaningful relationships in the church? And so I just want to kind of cover the top three things. Uh, in church, there's a place of belonging. It makes sense. Believers would find belonging in church. Okay, uh, there's someone in my life who encourages me to grow spiritually. Again, we would think, okay, to be a resilient disciple, we need people to encourage us in our faith. And then I'm connected to a community of Christians. 82%. Obviously, yeah, disciples connected to church. Makes sense. Can you go to the next slide, Ben? Okay, so I want us to look at this. This is the power of the laser pointer. And I don't know if teachers use laser pointers, but this is awesome. Okay, so... Um, this next question is, how do we build a relational connectivity? I know I'm like, laser pointer. I apologize if it goes in the eye. But how do we build deeply formed relationships? And again, look at this. I have at least one person, uh, one close friend who I trust with my secrets. And a spouse for this doesn't count. This is simply someone who all your junk is out on the table and you're completely honest and open with. 83%, 83% of resilient disciples would say, I have that one person. 
I might have multiple person, people. It's 30% more than a habitual church grower, uh, unchurched, or ex-Christian would be. The next thing is when growing up, I had a close personal friendship who was an adult, a close personal relationship with an adult. I think this is something the church has to offer. You know, our church, we pride ourselves in the fact that we're a four to five generational church. And I know for me personally, uh, like, I am so thankful for the older generations speaking into my life. Older generations, you have younger generations speaking of the hope and passion of following after Jesus. It's important to have those intergenerational relationships as we spur each other on to for the sake of the gospel. I have one person in my life other than family who I can go for for advice on personal issues. Again, 77%, that's a 30% difference in any other group. Like, Matt, what does all the, why is all this important? The church has something unique to offer the world. In a broken, hurting world, we have an opportunity to offer authentic relationships where we can come and people know our messes, where we can come and have people speak into our lives, not only advice, but encouragement, hope. We are a place where the generations come together and speak life into one another. I have a quick personal story of this. As a high school student, my junior year, we had just some, some family stuff going on in our life where I was really questioning, like, is this Jesus person real? And if it wasn't for a guy in his late 50s, early 60s who walked through life with me, his name is Dale Rice, if it wasn't for him speaking the hope of the gospel in me, I can tell you, as a matter of fact, I would not be on this stage right now because I would have run from Jesus because I was hurting. We need people speaking into our life. We are not meant to go on this alone. And as you, we look in James today, we're going to see the beauty of having uh, interconnected relationships that are open, transparent, and honest with one another. So uh, in James chapter 5, um, it says this, If is anyone among you suffering, he should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of the faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful in its effect. There's a lot going on in this passage of Scripture, and before we begin to, to digest it some, I want to step back and look at the book of James as a whole. So in the book of James, it's, uh, it's, a, it's the early church. Uh, it's a lot of impoverished believers, a lot of persecuted believers, and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of suffering going on. There's just a lot of suffering going on to the, to the, the early readers of this uh, letter. And so think of the, just the giant umbrella of the life of suffering is to be expected among the believer. We act so surprised and caught off guard when we encounter suffering, but it's a part of our life. There's a theology of suffering that as Christ followers, we're going to encounter this as we walk through our days. And not only is there this idea of suffering, but the book of James really teaches the application of how do we walk in the midst of suffering? How do we walk in this broken world? And so one thing that I love about James is anyone can read it and find really applicable points to their life. One of the things he talks about is our, our speech and our language in a world that we're suffering in. How do we respond in hope, in kindness, in truth with our mouths? 
All of us could learn from James and the power of our words and how our words can create worlds of hope or worlds of despair with those that we come into contact with. Not only does he speak about uh, our speech patterns and why they're important, but he talks about the subject of prayers, one of his most common themes through this whole book. And the, the thing is, is prayer is so significant because in a life in world full of suffering, who do we think we are that we would hold all the answers? There's so many things that we can sit back and ask, why did this happen? What is going on? We simply don't have the answers. There's things that we can't Google and find out. There's things that Siri won't tell us. There's things that are big, life-altering questions that we just don't know why they happen. And we don't have the ability to know this side of eternity. And so we're given the opportunity to, to go to our Heavenly Father on the daily basis and go to Him with our needs. Go to him with our brokenness. Go to him with our burdens. Like, there's incredible power in what James is teaching, not only the early church, but to us, is when we encounter suffering, our first go-to shouldn't be going to someone else. Our first go-to should be going to God, the one who holds things together. And then he even talks about really cool things about you know, just uh, how even amongst the body of Christ with socioeconomic differences, how we're not supposed to show favoritism, and how we're supposed to realize that we're all on equal footing in front of the cross. And how each and every one of us are in desperate need of God's grace. So today, with all that and said, we read John, John 5, 13 through 16, and you're like, what does that have to do with authenticity? What does praying for the sick have to do with authenticity? What does uh, being anointed and prayed over by our, our elders, what does um, confessing our sins with one another have to do with authenticity among the body? Well, when we realize, when our faith family, uh, when we realize the, the importance of honesty before God and one another, we're able to understand and unpack uh, God's purposes and mission for us in, in this side of eternity. My hope for us today is as a faith family that we would, uh, we would pursue honesty before God and one another to live out all that God has intended for us. And so there's three simple truths that I want to run through in the next nine to ten minutes that I think are important for us. As a gospel community that says, hey, we want to make much of Jesus, and yes, we have great need before God. These are some simple truths that can guide us in pursuit of honesty and authentic. And authentic Authentic relationships, I can't even say that, um, tongue-tied. But authenticity among the body so that we can fulfill all that God has for us. Because I don't know about you, but I think all of us would say, I want to make the most of this life for what God has for me. For those of you who are believers in this room, I, I would imagine all of us would say, we don't want to waste our life. And so for us, we should be asking, how can I move towards honesty and authenticity before God so I can make the most? The first truth is redemptive community recognizes their desperate need of God. In this passage where we see them coming and praying, we see a couple of things. We say, hey, if you have experienced suffering, hey, we should pray. If you've experienced uh, a cheer, something awesome, you should praise God. If you are physically sick, go to God and go to your body of Christ. If you are spiritually sick, go to God and go to the, go to God and go to the body of Christ. You see, we can act like we have it all together, but we are all desperately in need of who God is. 
The more I go through life, the more I realize I don't know and I can't hold all things together. And what we see here James modeling in this moment of application to how do we engage in a suffering world, well, we engage through prayer. But in that prayer is this foundation of recognizing the truth that I am in desperate need of God. Personally, the mess in my life, I don't have it all together. And if I try pursuing this on my own, well, I'm going to miss the mark. I'm going to miss it. And in redemptive community, we realize our desperate need for God. In James, those who he was originally writing to, they had no hope other than what Jesus was doing in their lives. They didn't have the resources to shield themselves. They didn't have the things to, to, to get through. For us, when bad things happen, many of us have the resources of whether we have social nets here in, a, here in our society or we have enough resources where we don't feel the hurt so much when things go, around, go, go, away, go wrong in this, in this world. And what we see here is, is as James is speaking to uh, the church here, he's saying, hey, when the world goes, like when things go wrong, like we are in desperate need of God. And when we, when we as a body of believers recognize this, our, our needs aren't found in the things that we have in our own security but are found in a desperate need of God, I wonder what he would do among the body. I wonder what he would do if we would come into worship saying, I have nothing to offer you, Jesus, but myself, and I want all of you. I'm in desperate, desperate need of you. And that's when community is able to live out its purpose is when we realize that we are completely desperate before God. The second truth that we, we begin to see is redemptive community has a deep level of honesty and vulnerability. So in chapter or in verse 15, we see this moment of coming and coming before the elders and asking to be prayed over for healing, both spiritually and physical healing. I don't know about you, but you've stood in a, in a Sunday school classroom and you've said prayer requests. There's a level of vulnerability asking for, for prayer requests out loud. You know, oftentimes we'll say like our like throw in prayer requests, like Aunt Susie's broken toe that's been broken three years in a row or something. I don't know. It's always funny to hear just like the prayer requests that we say. around them. Those things are important. But what it's talking about here is the things that are, that are causing brokenness to perpetuate in our lives. And here in verse 15, he's beginning to break it down. There's, there's spiritual barriers that are in our way that we need prayer over. So we should come together under the authority of the church and we should pray over those things. There's physical things that are hurting. There is, there is sickness. There is brokenness caused by just the brokenness of this world that we have no answer for. And the only answer we have is to come before God and pray over those things. There's power in that. There's great power, as we'll see at the end of chapter 16, where there's power in the prayer of a righteous man. Why? Because we've been made righteous in Jesus and in him we find healing and hope. But then in verse 16... We, we don't mind. I mean, it's a little uncomfortable to be vulnerable to talk about, you know, we have, uh, we have a prayer request, something that needs healing. But then, verse 16, talks about confessing our sins to one another. Talk about really uncomfortable. That doesn't mean, like, standing up in front of a stage and, like, listening off your sins. But this is why community is important. It's why it's important that each and every one of us have people in our lives where we can lay everything on the table and say, this is my mess, this is my brokenness, these are the sins I struggle with, these are the doubts I have, these are the fears I face, and I need help to walk through this life. 
I need help to walk through the, this life. Um, currently, I'm reading through uh, the book of Psalms uh, in my quiet time each morning, and it's, um, it's by Timothy Keller, and it's like Jesus in the Psalms or something like that. And uh, I love it. It's just a couple verses each day and go through the whole thing, and you're able to stop and meditate and really just like listen to, to some really interesting prayers and songs. Because if you look at like psalms as a whole, there's lots of like celebratory psalms, but there's also like a lot of psalms where like David's like, get my enemy, God, because they've done me wrong. And there's like there's moments where David is expressing doubts and fears before God. He's like, I don't see you, God. Where are you? And there's also moments where he's saying, God, thank you for restoration and redemption. God, thank you for finding healing from the sin. And as I've been reading this over the past several months, the convicting thing to me is why doesn't my prayer life look as vulnerable as what David's modeling for us in the Psalms? If you're asking, hey, what's a practical application step from this? Because I think this is an area that a lot of us need to grow in. Maybe begin to model our prayers after the person who is called the man after God's own heart. Begin to model our prayers after what we see in the, in the heart of the psalmist. But guess what? God can handle our doubts. God can handle our fears. In fact, he invites us to bring them to him. He invites us to bring them to him. But if we're going to be a redemptive community, we have to have a deep level of honesty and vulnerability with one another. As James is talking about this idea of confession, it's scary to put your stuff out on the table. I would much rather almost be naked on a stage sometimes than share, uh, I'm not going to do that, don't worry, but then share, uh, share just vulnerable, just the depths and nastiness of my sin. But when we do that, when we confess to one another, we're able to find healing, we're able to find hope. There's great power in naming our sins because when we name them, we can put them before God. We can have someone hold us accountable as we walk through this life and we can pursue holiness as Christ has given us holiness through Jesus. So the third thing is redemptive community finds power and honesty before God and one another. The end of verse 16 says the prayer of the righteous person is powerful in its effect and then goes on to share an example from Elijah in verse 17. And so as as the author of, um, uh, of this letter is, is talking, he's saying, hey, as we live in a world of suffering, there's a lot of things we don't have answers for. There's a lot of things we don't have control, but there's great power when we're authentic before God, when we're vulnerable before God, when we're vulnerable among one another and allow his power to work in our lives. And so Garrett's going to come up here and, and, um, and create a moment for us. As we just kind of read this passage of Scripture, I don't know how we can authentically look at this Scripture and not respond in some way. And for some of us, this is going to be really weird. For others, we're going to be like, yes, this is awesome. But in this passage of Scripture, it says, hey, like if you need healing, restoration, have people pray over you. If you need uh, to confess sin, go to one another and confess sin to one another and find healing and power in those prayers. And so if we're going to be a gospel community, we've got to begin by being authentic before God. We've got to be like, God, I'm, I'm a mess. And some of us, that might be the first step today. 
Some of us might not know who Jesus is. Some of us might be, have known Jesus for years and we have, not, uh, we have not been dealing with sin. We have not been pursuing him wholly. And some of us might need to pause and just where we're seated, just maybe get on your knees, open up your hands, pray out, and be like, God, I need you. Some of us might need physical healing. Some of us might need spiritual healing. And you're like, I don't know where to go. I've gone to God. I don't know what else to do. Well, some of our staff is going to be at the front of the stage as Garrett leads, and we would love to pray over you. We would love for you to find restoration and healing through Jesus. And some of us have just sin that we're carrying around. We're carrying around like rocks in our pocket and then are weighing us down and keeping us back. And we wonder why we don't hear from God or feel God or see God move. Well, maybe it's because we're carrying all this stuff with us and we just need to confess sin. I would just challenge you. If that's you, look to the person to your left. Look to the person to your right. And maybe now's an opportunity to confess sin. Maybe you need to walk across the room and know someone that you can trust and go to them and be like, I'm carrying this and I can't do this on my own. I need your help. Maybe you just need to get on an altar, on the altar, and on your knees crying out to God. I don't know what it is, but I think the only way we can authentically walk away from this text is to do the things that we're being challenged to, and that's to pray over one another. Cry out to God. And so this song is going to be playing. There's freedom to move however God might move. There's freedom to get up across the room and pray over someone. There's freedom to get down to the altar. There's freedom to lay hands on one another and pray. Some might feel led to stand. Some might feel led to sit. Know that there's freedom in this space. And so I'm going to pray for us, and, and we'll, we'll just we'll watch God move. And so, Father, we are in desperate need of you. Thanks again for diving in with us today. The Word of God is not just something to engage in for this short period of time, but these messages of truth are meant for life-altering convictions. Scripture is something that defines us and redirects us. Together we are letting God's Word have free reign in our hearts, our lives, our families, and here at Mandarin. Will you join us in letting God shape us? He is speaking. He is moving. He is working in each of us to form us into the image of his son, Jesus. As you go, we hope that you will take some time to visit our website at mandarinbaptist.org. Like and follow us on facebook.com slash mandarinbaptistchurch. You can stay up to date with us on all that is going on, as well as join us for our services online. We love you, church, and we hope that you will join us again soon.